This episode of Writing Excuses has been brought to you by our listeners, patrons, and friends. If you would like to learn how to support this podcast, visit www.patreon.com slash writing excuses. Season 12, Episode 37. This is Writing Excuses Subplots. 15 minutes long. Because you're in a hurry. And we're not that smart. I'm Brandon. I'm Mary. I'm Marianne. And I'm Wesley. <laughs> and we're talking subplots today. Um, so what makes something a subplot instead of the main plot of a story? I, so it, for me, it carries uh, less emotional weight, usually. usually. Um, it's not the main driver. And usually the, the events, it's the subplots inciting incident starts off after the main inciting incident. That's a good definition. Um, I think it's important that subplots are related to the main plot in some way. Mm-hmm. Okay. But, but then I also, like, when I, when I write my characters, I always think nobody in, in the world thinks about one thing all the time. We're always multitasking in some way, and the things that we multitask affect us. So that's what the subplots are for. Is You know, I would agree that a lot of the good subplots will relate to the main plot. I don't think all of them have to, but I think some of the most powerful ones, for instance, if you have a plot where two characters or a group of characters have to learn to get along before they can accomplish the goal, then the interpersonal relationship between each of them is a subplot. But it's also an essential step toward accomplishing the main plot. Um, and in some ways, fulfilling those subplots is the thing that needs to happen. Like, we get the big cheer when the main plot is done, but if you think of something like Guardians of the Galaxy, the real emotional resonance is the subplots of the characters getting along. And I would, you know, as a reader, I will say that I get irritated, I think, when I run across subplots that are leading me too far away from the main plot, even if they are compelling in and of themselves. How can you define one that is leading us too far away? Is there anything you can give us to spot it in our own work? Um... Uh, that's going to be tricky to... I'll talk for a second and think about it because this is a complaint leveled at a lot of epic fantasy. Mm. Um, Robert Jordan, George R. R. Martin, the long series, everyone loves the long series, but it seems like a catch-22 because they'll complain about them at the same time saying too many subplots. And I just wonder if it's a matter of expectations. You expect to read about main characters and you get too much about side characters or things like this. Um, Mm. I, mean, I think the concern is that um, when you have too many subplots, you, the subplots maybe are there for character development, and that's great. But when you have too many and you're not pushing the main plot forward, that's I think that's where the readers are com- where their complaints are coming from. Is you know you're yeah. bogging down the story way too much. And I think it's a question of choice, right? Like as writers, we can spin off an infinity of subplots, right? We could be you know right. I, I can come up with story after story after story about any given character. Um, so then. You you have to make decisions about which stories you're choosing to tell right now, and presumably the ones that you are presenting to the reader are going to be in service to the larger story you are trying yeah. to tell. Yeah, Pro- progress is an illusion, yeah. and you have absolute control over that. You need to make sure that illusion doesn't break. Yeah, yeah for me, it's uh, it, it is related not just to the how it inter- intersects with the main story, but but the proportion of time that you spend on it. Mm-hmm. So, you know, the example that I use a lot is that the, the plot is kind of like your roadmap between Chicago and Chattanooga. And you, you can drive along and you know that, okay, I'm going to have to take a, a ba- bathroom break and this is coming at the, about the point that I need to take the bathroom break. There's a sign that says world's largest ball of twine. 
you check your map and it's five miles off the interstate, you're like, I have to stop anyway. This is totally worth it. That's a subplot that can enrich the trip because it makes it a little more interesting. If it is 500 miles off the interstate, that is not a subplot worth taking because it is, in fact, a ball of twine. And can I – oh, sorry. I, w- I would just add that one thing I've done to satisfy my own writerly whateverness is if I'm desperate to write that subplot that probably shouldn't be there – I will spin it off into a separate short story. Yeah. So, and maybe that's because I'm a short story writer, but I've done that kind of over and over again, and it like it get it lets me scratch the itch without now, destroying I think the book. In the ebook era, that's particularly useful to do because even if it's not something that you're going to sell, fans love this oh, stuff. Yeah. Putting it up and saying, "Hey, here's an extra little scene about this character that didn't make it in the book." Um, that's the sort of beautiful things that we can do mm-hmm. with our writing this day these days. That was much harder. Uh, yeah. Before the internet. I used to send notes to Ellen Kushner saying, you know, because I, I loved Swords Point. It was formative to me. And she was not turning out new novels fast enough in that universe. And I'd I'd write to her saying, do you have a scene, just just a little scene between Alec and Richard? I just I just want to see them. What are they doing? <laughs> I mean, I mean, a, a subplot can be a darling. And, you know, sometimes we, we have a tendency to fall into the trap of like, we are so, this is such a great little idea. And we are so clever. So we're going to we're going to make it into the book no matter what, and mm-hmm. and that that's always a problem. Yeah, I would agree with that one hundred percent. How do you take one of these and weave it into the main plot then without being distracting? Any specifics writing wise? So I look at ways that the um, I, I feel like the, the the subplot does not necessarily have to be related to the main plot, but that, that it should intersect the main plot. Okay, that's a good way to put it. And that those intersections are are going to affect the main plot. So. Um, so for me, what I, I look for are the, the places where that intersection can be most interesting, where it can uh, complicate things for my character. Uh, we, we had um, – I talked with Margaret Dunlop who talked about the difference between uh, complication and an obstacle. And an obstacle is something that basically stops the story and a complication is something that m- – changes the story. Uh, So when I'm looking for the subplots, I'm much more interested in them being a complication than I am in them being an obstacle. I'm looking for ways in which the subplot can change my character's plans. I look at subplots as a way to support the main plot. You know, so if I need to steal this diamond from this museum, I make a detour to recruit a cat burglar to help me. And to do this, I need to go through these kind of hoops. But at the end of the day, recruiting this cat burglar is part of my main plot to... Yeah, and see, I wouldn't call that a subplot, personally. Yeah. I would I would call that part of the main plot. But, but yeah, this maybe is the you way recruit... I, I agree with Mary. You recruit the cat burglar, but then the cat burglar um, feels gypped by you and runs off and is then, um, you know, going to tell the police. That becomes a subplot, right? The The getting the cat burglar has helped you get to the main story, but then they become a complication later on. Yeah. So let me, let me I was, use— I was actually going to add that the cat burglar was an ex-girlfriend. Oh, okay. Yeah. 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 I totally forgot to add that part of it, mm-hmm. and I was just kind of like, oh, wait a minute, that, I missed something. <laughs> <laughs> but, but no, that's a, that's a really good example of the difference between, between something that is a, a part of the main plot and part of the subplot. The, the subplot is your character's relationship with ex-girlfriend. That's the subplot. And the intersection is the way that 
affects the recruiting of the cat burglar. So, and this is, I think, what happens to a lot of writers when they are looking for a subplot is they pick something that is too closely aligned to their main driver or they pick something that is too far away. One one thing that I, I think about when I'm using the, the mace quotient, which is milieu, answers, characters, and events, is that when I'm looking for a subplot, I try to look for a subplot that isn't in the same category as the main plot, because then what I have is two drivers that are running parallel, and they don't tend to intersect. So mm-hmm. what happens is, like, when you jump over to the other subplot, you know, like, if if plot A is, we need to get out of this jail, and plot B is, across town, someone is working on a building, and those two things have nothing to do with each other, every time we go over to the building, we're like, ah, I don't care about the building, do not care about the building. It feels like a distraction. Whereas if the subplot had been, um, you know, the, we need to get out of this jail and the subplot is, and we need to figure out who framed us. Right. If it's an answer thing, those two things can run in, can can intersect so in interesting promises ways. promises comes mm-hmm. into this again, yeah. doesn't it? Yeah. Um, <clears throat> I found that weaving in a subplot works best um, when <clears throat> the characters got passion, mm-hmm. um, you know, it's, it's this thing that you come back to, character focus, and I guess yeah. it's about promises also, but this idea that we've known all along this character is really passionate about, you know, collecting these rocks. Mm-hmm. And even though it's going to be distraction, sometimes we're like, you know, we're on board with this because we love this character. We love what they are passionate about. And if we can follow their passion, mm-hmm. then we get fulfilled. But the point, the, the important part is, I, I can't remember who said this in the podcast here, but we need, it to, we need to affect things. Yeah. We need the fact that that character has gotten that rock. I'm picking something completely ridiculous. Has gotten that rock, improves their, you know, their outlook on life. They're like, you know, I have my lucky rock now. Um, I have the confidence to accomplish what I need to. And it doesn't always have to be some great character moment like that, but I really like it when it ties in even a little bit. Yeah, well, and with something like that, I you know, it if— it has to tie in a little bit, though, because if, if not, then if you could remove the entire subplot, it doesn't affect the story whatsoever. It shouldn't be there. Then it shouldn't be there. Yeah. yeah. Well, I, and yeah. I, think, I think when we're talking about short fiction, absolutely mm-hmm. true. Yeah. When we're talking about novel, if it's there to illuminate the character, you can argue that that is, that is part of the Yeah, the if thing. you it, can illuminate the character in the world— um, like I have in the Stormlight Archive, I have short stories in between sections of books that only very slightly relate. They're mostly, hey, this other part of the world exists. Keep that in mind. Mm-hmm. Um, they don't relate to the main plot. And I'm writing 1,000-page books so I can get away with but that. But I would say I haven't actually read this book. Mm-hmm. But to me, that sounds like a really interesting experimental form, what you're doing. And I think that's great. It's, it is not what most long no, novels look like. it is not. Yeah. That is true. Mary, we interrupted you. This is your invitation to the intersection of versatility and design. The kind of experience you can only find in a Lexus SUV. A feeling this empowering is invite only. Fortunately, you're invited. Experience the versatility of the complete line of Lexus SUVs and some of the best offers of the year on select models at the Invitation to Lexus sales event, now through April 1st. Experience amazing at your Lexus dealer. Everybody in your crew identifies as either Big Mac Burger, McNuggets, or McCrispy Sandwich. But you're the filet fish Sandwich all day. 
that crispy fish, that savory tartar sauce, that melty cheese, that pillowy bun. Yeah, you get it. Every time. And if you love the filet of fish right now you can catch two of the classics you love for just $6. Limited time only. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Single item at regular price. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba. Yes, yeah. you did. Yeah, that was, that was so mean of us. Should no. I do it again and do the book of the week, or do you got— Do the book of the week, okay. because I can't remember what it was I was going to say. Marianne, you were going to pitch a collection of yours. Well, it's an anthology, anthology. actually. Oh, that you edited. So, that I edited. So this is Survivor. It's coming out from Lethe Press. Um, this book emerged because a friend and I, uh, J.J. Pianke, and I were talking about trauma and about how people recover from trauma, and we were doing this— in a variety of contexts, we were talking about mental illness and um, PTSD. We were talking about domestic violence, my own research into the war in Sri Lanka, war stories, military experiences. And uh, we realized that there was this sort of common thread that we were both really interested in. JJ's interested in bullying and the effects of that. So we put out this call for stories of science fiction fantasy stories about trauma and survival. And and we're really, we're interested in sort of the path that these characters took to a place where they could not just survive, but thrive. Um, and it's not a self-help book, and it's not, they're not even all happy ending stories. Um, but we wanted to kind of present these, these ways of looking at it. And I think it, it ended up being a really interesting collection. It's a mix of military stories, domestic stories, um, and, uh, just general adventure stories. And I think there's going to be a lot of meat there for people to enjoy. I'm really, I'm excited about it. I'm super excited. Awesome. Well, you guys should look at that. It's called Survivor. Um, all right, Mary. I remembered. Okay. So this is one of the advantages to subplots. Um, and it, it's related to the the example of the, the, the rock collector. That when you get farther down the, the story... Uh, you can pull solutions to different problems from any of the subplots that are in play, as opposed to only having one subplot that, or one plot that you can pull solutions from. So, for instance, let's say we've got this rock collector, but the main plot is zombie apocalypse. Mm-hmm. And so the rock collector is constantly, you know, he's collected this rock. It makes him feel safer. It has no practical function. People are giving him grief because he's like, you could be carrying supplies and you're carrying a rock. And he's like, I know, but look, it's this amazing thing. If one of the other subplots is there's a baseball player who's with the thing, the group, and he feels completely useless because he's a professional baseball player and has no survivable skills, zombie comes, he takes the guy's favorite rock and throws it at the zombie. <laughs> and that then combining your solution from those two different mm-hmm. subplots, that's the kind of intersection that can make a story spark and, and more interesting. Can that I ask, sub- that, yes. that doesn't feel too convenient? I worry about that. This is one of those things that I'm always fretting about. convenience is something that we do worry about. I think you could make that one work by, you know, give me your stupid rock. No, I'm not going to give you my, I mean, you can play it for last. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. That's right. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. I mean, mean, it feels like that's a subplot that supports the main plot, Mm -hmm. and that totally works for me. Um, There's often when when I see a subplot that just kind of ends without, I mean, when I read a subplot, I'm thinking this will be important down the line because I don't know why else it's here. If it doesn't, if I get no payoff from that at the end, by the end of the book or by the end of the series, then I'm going to be like, why was that even there? Well, let me pitch you a 
pitch you a form, not a rock, a form of uh, storytelling that is super common where the subplot doesn't affect. And that's the Hollywood A plot, B plot plot, um, method, which is a lot of sitcoms use this. A lot of dramas use this. There's a main plot uh, with a main cast of characters, and then there is a secondary cast who hijinks ensue. Mm-hmm. And by the time the main characters get back, all the hijinks have been unensued, and everything's back to normal. Uh, this happened, the, the television show Chuck did this. There was the A plot, we're super spies, B plot, all the, the goofy people who work at the, the superstore are doing stuff. Most, uh, most yeah, dramas but, do this. That, but that actually does serve a function. It totally does. Not, not just in terms of pacing, but mm-hmm. in terms of – because that is uh, – television series are long-form narratives. Yes. And it serves the function of keeping characters active in the viewers' minds. So it is not without function. It and, isn't without function, but those y- characters are never involved in the spy plot. But they're right. usually – I feel like when I watch these shows, I mean, I watch Grey's Anatomy, for example, mm-hmm. and they have they have that kind of structure, but they're usually thematically related for any given episode. Yeah, they so, will do that. That's true. So, I mean, there's a connection. It's not that it's not that the action in one sequence is affecting the action in the other. It's not, but the writers are choosing to tell these two stories at the same time because they're they're emotionally resonant with each other. Yeah, I actually feel like in those cases, it that's less. I mean, I know that A plot, B plot, that technically it is a subplot, but I almost feel more like structurally what you're looking at is two unrelated interwoven stories. Parallel plots. Mm-hmm. Parallel okay, plots. so I, I watched Grey's Anatomy. I used to watch Grey's Anatomy. But, um, <laughs> but I mean, it's you not know, Grey's Anatomy always have like, th- like three, four plots of these characters. And I, I mean, I re- there's always a theme in mm-hmm. every episode, but I never feel like there's like one main plot and a couple minor plots. It's right. it's two, three plots. It's that an ensemble. Just kind of ensemble okay. yeah, there's there's yeah. a novel that does this uh, beautifully. It's called My Name is Red, and I've forgotten the author's name. Uh, and it's it's fantastic, but it, it's a whole bunch of miniature stories that are all connected and also all totally separate. Um, there's also the great... That uh, great Christmas movie that uh, people love to hate that uh, I'm blanking on the um, title. It's got like 12 intersecting yeah, uh, romance um, stories. Oh, I, oh, I hate that movie. I, hate I know. I my know. niece loves it and I can't All remember right, the name of it. Let's move on from <laughs> yes, this though because I'm actually. convinced that's just two love parallel actually. stories. Love actually. That's but right. what about uh, side characters? Do, does every side character in a story, let's say you're writing a novel, do they each need a subplot of their own to make them work? I, I feel like um, it, it depends on uh, – we're, we're talking – Secondary characters, not tertiary. And, um, I feel like secondary characters are most interesting when they have their own goals. Uh, and those goals do not necessarily have to affect the main plot. They don't um, – like I, I sometimes will have characters who have goals and they achieve them off stage, and we just know that these side plots happen off stage. Um, and I like reading books like that. I feel like it makes the characters more complete and it gives a sense of a larger world. Uh, do I think it's necessary? No. I've seen plenty of stories that don't do that and that are perfectly fine. But as a reader, I find that a more yeah. fulfilling experience. Yeah, I don't want spear carriers, right? I want to have a sense that these people have their own missions. I mean, you think of something like The Lord of the Rings. Merry and Pippin, at the beginning, are just kind of generic additional hobbits, right? But by the time you get to the end, they have become, they have developed their own desires, have followed them, which have turned out to be completely critical to the overall arc. I think it helps. 
I don't think it's necessary. I think if you can describe a spear carrier that is always the main character, but you you flesh him out so that he has his own personality, his own thoughts, his own history, you don't need to send him off on his own subplot as long as you've you know, really spent time building him up, him or her up. All right. Um, well, let's go ahead and get some homework. Okay. So your homework for the week is, um, let's say that four major things will drive a story. They are environment, characters, disruption of the status quo, and questions. Take a piece, look at your main plot, and decide which of these four things it is. Then ask which of the remaining three things can go wrong and make one of them your subplot. All right. This has been Writing Excuses. You're out of excuses. Now go write. So listeners, I use the word gypped in this podcast, and it's a word I've been trying to eliminate from my vocabulary. And we thought rather than just cutting it out, I would put this little thing on here. This is one of those words that wiggles its way into your dialogue, which you don't realize is deeply offensive to people. Um, And so I want to apologize to the Roma people who might be listening. Um, I'm trying to get rid of it. And if those who don't know, it actually means gypsy ripping off because gypsies were seen as people who would rip you off. Um, And it is an offensive racial stereotype. So I apologize for using that. And I thank you guys for continuing to listen, even through the mistakes that we occasionally make. Writing Excuses is a Dragonsteel production, jointly hosted by Brandon Sanderson, Dan Wells, Mary Robinette Kowal, and Howard Taylor. This episode was mastered by Alex Jackson. If you aren't familiar with Locus Magazine, they're a long-standing and respected website, magazine, archive, and resource for science fiction, fantasy, and horror. Basically, they're the industry magazine for our genre. They also run the annual Locus Awards, a top-tier award that recognizes new, diverse, and excellent voices in speculative fiction. They tell the storytellers' stories through author interviews, book reviews, curated reading lists, international industry news, obituaries, and more. Locus has meant a lot to me, both personally and professionally. In my career, I've been interviewed by them, and I've also turned to them as a source of understanding who is involved in the industry. Locus is holding their annual fundraising drive to keep their doors open, lights on, and future bright. I'll be contributing to their crowdfunding campaign by donating a cutscene, some original art, and a couple of other things like, do you want to do a one-on-one chat with me? So join me in supporting Locus.